Hey everybody, we're trying something a little bit different for this episode. At Boulder Startup Week 2020, we were invited to present on sales and marketing. And special thanks to Ben Travis at Bonusly, who also volunteers his time helping run Boulder Startup Week. Uh, ben was gracious enough to uh, work with us and, and really help us make this idea for a presentation into something that I think worked and was a lot of fun. Uh, so Sean and I were joined by Katie Hakos, who's a friend of the pod, and we did a little presentation called Sales and Marketing, Friends or Foes. I'm just going to read the description of the talk for you real quick. Sales and marketing. Communicate with customers and close deals. Easy, right? If only. Marketers and salespeople are often pitted against each other, pursuing competing goals and wondering what the other spends all day doing. In this interactive team talk, we use a prisoner's dilemma style game to show attendees and participants why it's in the best interests of marketers and salespeople to work together. We'll explore the natural differences that cause sales and marketing to move in opposing directions. And we're going to include some best practices from both disciplines. We had a lot of fun with this. I'm the stereotypical salesperson. Sean is the stereotypical marketing person. Katie rises above the fray and really helps tee up what we're doing here. And also helped facilitate some really good feedback from attendees. So have a listen. Let us know what you think. Thanks for listening. I'd like to take this moment to pause and let's talk about our sponsor, CyberCity Circuits. Who are they? CyberCity Circuits is a contract manufacturer and electronics distributor. Uh, they're based in Augusta, Georgia. They're fans of the show and they've been supporting us to help really get in front of technical people who are starting their own companies. That's what they've done themselves. Uh, David and Chris spoke to us all about it and how they're growing their business in episode 20. And one of the things they're focusing on now is contract manufacturing. They're looking to expand their business. And I don't know if you've ever had to use a contract manufacturing, but sometimes it can be uh, really rough to get small quantities through. So if you're doing something like for badge life where you need 5, 10, 20, 30 boards produced and you don't want to do them all yourself, this is the perfect opportunity to reach out to David and Chris and get them to help you produce your boards. Check them out at CyberCityCircuits.com and just say, hey, we learned about you from Hello Blink Show. You'll get 25% off your assembly costs of manufacturing. You can also use Hello Blink Show as a coupon code to get 10% off of your order for their electronics distribution and kit sales. Welcome to the practical podcast for technical people who want to start their own company. From founding to building your business, we're here to help. I'm Sean Hemel. And I'm Harris Kenny. This is the Hello Blink Show. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time to come out this afternoon. Um, this is one of our virtual live Boulder Startup Week sessions. And as you can tell, it's on the uh, subject of marketing and sales. So very excited about this one. Uh, it's a very important relationship. So excited to see where things go. Uh, my name is Ben Travis. And this year is marketing track captain, as well as marketing manager at Bonusly here in Boulder. And as you can tell, this year's Boulder Startup Week is a little bit different than past years. Uh, we're going through a 100% digital event with a theme of service to community. Um, and this session will also be uploaded to YouTube on the Boulder Startup Week channel uh, sometime in the near future. And before we start, I'd like to, I'd like to give a, a quick shout out to our sponsors. So special thanks to Techstars, Honey, 
Name.com, Downtown Boulder Partnership, and CU for their sponsorship of Boulder Startup Week. Without them, this wouldn't be possible. And now I'd like to hand things over to, I think I'm handing it over to Katie, right? Yes. Perfect. All right. So Katie, go ahead. Take it away. All righty. Okay. So again, thank you everyone for joining us today. And we're here to talk about marketing and sales, uh, like Ben said, and are they friends or foes? Before we get started, I'd like everyone to know that you can message us through the chat. Uh, we would really, really like you to. And as Sean mentioned, to make sure that the two sign is to the attendees um, and also, let's see, which one, which other one was it? To it the it should say, yeah, all panelists and attendees, because otherwise it just default goes to the panelists. Panelists. Yep, so if you could do that, um, then everybody could see your responses and your questions. We would really appreciate that. So again, thank you everyone for attending and we'll start off with our backgrounds. So my name is Katie Hackos and I am a inbound sales representative for System76. And I also have previous history in digital marketing and communications with Ball Corporation and Kafaro. Harris? Hello, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Harris. I've got, right now I'm running my own business. I work with founders and small business owners on their go-to-market, but I really especially focus on sales. I've got a background in uh, working for a number of different tech companies uh, here in Colorado. And I work, I also host a podcast with Sean, uh, who is going to speak to what he does. And so, yeah, this is kind of part of our podcast uh, called Hello Blink Show, where we help people start businesses and then really focus on how to grow those businesses. Yeah, so I'm Sean. I, I'm living a bit of a lie because I'm not actually in Boulder any longer. I'm in New Orleans. I used to live in Boulder for about five years. I worked for SparkFun up in Niwot. And I started off as an engineer and transitioned over to doing more marketing stuff, a lot of video content production, a lot of inbound marketing. Learned a bit about that. And now I'm running my own business to both create content for other companies as well as assist them with marketing. Um, and as Harris mentioned, we run a podcast together, which is why we're uh, doing this and hopefully helping everyone get some information about marketing and sales. So let's continue. Awesome. So during this conference, we'll be talking about, um, well, Sean and Harris will be actually be acting out a mock summit meeting, which will cover the company's marketing plan and followed by the sales plan. We will also um, look to you, the audience in the discussion uh, so we're going to want a little bit of participation there, which is why we really want you to ask questions, any feedback, anything in the chat box with Zoom. Um, so then we'll be following up with the reflection and any questions that the listeners have before coming to a close. Again, please use that Zoom chat box. That'll be huge within this presentation. So we'll start off with our company that we came up with. Um, so we are Boulderly.io, a software-as-a-service startup from Boulder, Colorado. Our mission is to provide industry-leading results and technologies to improve businesses around the world. Our marketing chief officer, Sean, and our director of business, Harris, will be pre presenting to the CEO at the summit meeting, which will be covered um, 
which we'll be covering their 2019 division statistics. And we will start off with Sean. So once Sean is ready. Sean, you're muted. <laughs> Here we go. All right, thank you so much, Kitty. I am super excited to be here at the summit meeting presenting to uh, you, the board, what we've been up to for the past year and what we're going forward with for the company. Um, I wanna share some things, uh, some things that went well, not so well, what we learned in 2019, as well as what we're planning for. So back in 2019, it took us a few months, three or four months, but we have a new homepage now and we're super excited to announce that. Um, it looks great and we've had a lot of people contribute and put in 208 blog posts, which is fantastic. Because of that, we saw a about a 13% increase in unique views on the website, and we got an astounding 30% increase in email newsletter signups, which is great. We're feeding that marketing funnel. You know, we're 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 kicking into, into high gear with this. Katie, if you go to the next slide, please. So the other thing we've been doing is a lot of social media. This is a big area for inbound here. Uh, we put out 512 tweets with 50 Instagram posts. And, you know, we didn't do so much in LinkedIn, but we did two long form posts, blog posts for LinkedIn. And that's been really good uh, with Twitter. We've seen about 1600 new followers, which is great. Um, for Instagram, it's only been about 210, but that's still growing. Uh, we're still trying to figure out uh, how to navigate Instagram. Um, but LinkedIn, because we haven't been putting as much effort, we've only seen about 15 new followers. But, you know, Twitter's been really kicking it for us. We saw uh, the, the most popular post that we saw got 32 likes and 12 shares. And, it, you know, we captured what we believe is the zeitgeist of this whole Twitter and social phenomenon where we're going after these events that are happening. So, you know, we have like Dogs Day and we've got you know, National Donut Day. Um, but what we found is that something like Throwback Thursday, and using the right hashtag for that, uh, we could reach a much wider audience for this. And this is really exciting for us. So if you can go to the next slide, please. But just to show you that our ads haven't been doing so well, we've been doing some paid ads for Facebook and Google, and we've only seen an increase of about three to 4% for both Facebook and Google ads for the click-through rates. But we did see a decrease in conversion rate. So we're not selling as much through ads anymore, uh, which if you go to the next slide, please, leads us to show that we're going to be, for 2020, we're going to be reducing the number of, of paid ads that we're doing because we need those funds to go to other inbound strategies, which seem to be working really well for us. One of the things we want to do is this blog refresh. Uh, we've been working with some web designers to create new landing pages. We think that's going to draw and retain viewership. Um, and hopefully lead to more conversions. And we're also going to be contracting with some blog writers to create more blogs because that seems to be working well. You know, everybody, you know, uh, uh, cranked it, did, you know, an extra 10 hours a week to put out those blogs. And we think we can do more if we just expand our workforce and get a bit of a, a force multiplier going on in there. The next thing we did is we, the next thing we want to do for 2020 is capture our, uh, capture more emails. We want to get that click-through rate up in our, uh, we want to get more people's emails so we can put them in their newsletter because that's been really working well for us. So the thing we're going to do is be more explicit in our call to actions. Uh, we're going to have site pop-ups and we're going to be doing some opt-out forms uh, when people are going through the checkout process. Finally, the other thing is that we want to, uh, as I mentioned, we saw a lot of these trends and events. We want to boost those. We want to 
uh, do pay for a lot of these uh, tweets and Instagram posts that are going out. And we want, we're creating a calendar for these events. Like I said, like, like, you know, siblings day or national donut day. We want to make sure we have these things lined up so that we can really capture these trends and get in front of more audiences. And finally, uh, back in October, I came back from content marketing world. Uh, one of the best talks I saw there is they're talking about how video and live content is really the new frontier. You know, it's been growing and we need to be doing more video and live. So I'm happy to announce that in 2020, my department will be hiring a videographer full time to do YouTube and live social media presence. Um, excited about this and it should be really good. Next slide, please. So the other big thing is we've been working with a graphic designer. Uh, we want to announce a our new font. Uh, we are going to be working over the next couple of months to update everything in the blog, everything on the landing page and home pages with this new with this new font. We believe that it really captures what Boulderly stands for, um, and it's this bold refresh that we think is going to inspire people and get them to stay on the pages and uh, really engage with us. So with that, I'm going to turn it over back to Harris. Hey folks, I'm in the sales state of mind. I'm getting ready for the sales retreat. Uh, I'm gonna get into our numbers and what's going on. So you'll have to pardon, uh, I'm gonna put my parrot on the side here. Okay, didn't have a lot of time to work on this deck. You know we're busy over in sales. We're talking to lots of prospects. So I threw some memes in here and some simple text. Let's jump right into it. Okay, so we are staying on top of our CRM tasks. Our internal sales meetings have been great. We've got really good energy and enthusiasm from the team. Um, technically while our sales have been up for the previous six quarters, they are down right now, 15% and we are not sure why, um, there is some seasonality, maybe the current events are affecting things. We don't really have a great answer for sort of what's going on in the first five months of the year here, but we are definitely going to make up for it. We're going to be putting up really big numbers in quarter three and quarter four. We just need to hustle for it. And I'm going to talk about some of the things that are, questionable in terms of how we're going to get there. Next slide, please. So we have not tried. We've talked about outbound. Um, we haven't tried it yet. The team is not sure about it. We're worried about coming across as annoying or pushy. Um, but I keep telling them to work on it. Now, I will say I personally do not have the bandwidth to do outbound um, between, you know, the stuff I'm working on on LinkedIn, building my brand there. And I've been listening to a lot of Gary Vee podcasts to kind of get in the mindset. I don't have the time for the outbound, but I'm telling the team that they should be doing that. So I'm hoping that they're going to get to that soon. Uh, from a partner's perspective, they're definitely not carrying their weight. A lot of uncertainty. I think maybe we just give them some better margins. Maybe if we really incentivize them. So that's my big plan. I've got another request for finance that I'm going to get to in a second, but I think if we just kind of sweeten the pot for our partners, that would be really good. Next slide, please. Okay, inbound, a little bit of a mixed bag. So we're getting lots of new leads from Instagram. All these social campaigns are working really well. Um, but the problem is that they're all just reaching out wanting merch from these social giveaways and having a hard time kind of connecting that with the sales conversations. But we're busy and we know it's just a numbers game. So we just need to keep having these conversations. Now, sometimes for the ones that are qualified, main two pieces of feedback we're getting from them is that prices are too high. So my other request for finance, I mentioned before, you know, can we run a discount or a promo? I think if we cut the price, we can make up for it in volume for sure. Uh, and then they're just hearing a lot that the product isn't competitive. You know, they're coming in, they're talking about features and I just don't think we have the features that we need. So maybe we could try to push some through, spice things up a little bit uh, from the product team, from engineering, that would be awesome. 
And uh, next slide, please. Okay, and then lastly, okay, I wanna motivate the team here. Seems like we're working harder than everybody else. Everybody's looking at the sales numbers, but there's no numbers for other parts of the company. We're working really, really hard. Um, I will say that the sales cycle for our product is very, very long, and we have a hard time sort of identifying whether or not the reps' inputs and activities are really leading to those deals closing. So my proposal is that we should incentivize the reps uh, and some ideas for how to really reward them. We've got cruise tickets. Uh, we've got potentially gift certificates for the restaurant in the uh, office lobby. Um, you know, they do those like chicken sandwiches and stuff. Uh, or like bonus airline miles. I think we can just throw some really good incentives at the team. I want them to feel really, really, really motivated uh, to, to try to hit their numbers. I think that's what we got to focus on. So that's the plan. Uh, like I said, I think we're behind the eight ball, but if we throw these things at it and we just kind of keep moving our feet um, forward, we're going we're gonna to have a good year here. And uh, that's all I got. All right, so okay. while, well, oh, go ahead, sorry. Oh, well, I was just gonna let everyone know that we'll be switching to the reflection piece, the discussion. This is where we ask you to um, insert your opinion on what's going on, and if you were presenting this to the CEO, what you, um, and you're the CEO, then what are your thoughts are here? Yeah, so as Katie said, if you could just uh, put into the web chat what your thoughts on this. Specifically, let's start off with, um, what you think went wrong. We're going to take about five to 10 minutes and go through some of these. Um, imagine you're the CEO and you just saw that presentation. What questions might you have for the, for the chief marketing officer and chief of sales? Um, and kind of things like, wait, that didn't seem right. Um, so just type your answers into the chat. Uh, we got a first come in. Marketing KPIs have zero connection to revenue. Hey, yes. <laughs> I think I think we're done. <laughs> that was that was a big one. <laughs> we got another one from from Eric too, and I'll take this as a compliment. He said it's scary how well you all are doing this. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, some, um, another one from Karen. Marketing doesn't seem to be getting much traction. Uh, tactic focus. Yeah, it, it's it's I call it a lot of fluff, right? It's a lot of marketing fluff. I'm giving you. Um, BS numbers and, and like, oh, we're growing percentages compared to what? That doesn't connect to anything. Um, and, and, and like, it, how are we feeding the funnel at all? Yep. All activity. Yes. That is a very good one. Paul says all activity metrics, no impact. That is absolutely correct. It's all input based. We're spending all of our time writing blogs uh, and how many tweets we're doing and how many likes, but it shows zero value to what to making sales there's no connection i love what uh marcy dr willard says here are the sales incentives going to do anything i can't tell you how many times and i know this is so this is embellished i'll just take an aside really quick this is embellished but literally every single one of these things are things that we've seen in practice in well-run companies including companies that have literally raised millions of dollars companies that are bootstrapped and profitable and that are doing tens of millions in sales I know that this is, when you put it all together, it makes you think like these people don't know what they're doing, but this is grounded in some real practice. And the sales incentives is a really good example of that. You know, oh, we just need to give the reps more bonuses or higher commissions. And it's like, but are the reps, is that what's closing deals or is actually marketing closing the deals and the reps are really more service oriented, answering little questions and things like that. That's a really good, really good point. <laughs> it all sounds like bananas to me. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. 
Um, I, I will point out one of my favorite things. Um, one of my pet peeves is what I call conference brain. And I, I slid that one in just to see if anybody would, would catch it. Um, I'm sure we've all had a manager, a coworker, and I've been guilty of this truth uh, as well, is you go to a conference, you see a great talk, it's inspiring, you come back and you tell your team, we're going to be doing this. I saw this at a conference and you don't get real buy-in from the team. So you try it for like a week and then it just kind of fizzles. So even if the thing might've worked, it, you don't really get buy-in. So it just becomes this like, oh, everybody stop what you're doing. Let's go do this. And you just waste a whole bunch of time. Karen, costumes rocked. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Uh, uh, where is the strategy? Yeah, there's there's zero strategy for this. There's you know there's no strategy. There's it's just like we've been trying stuff and seeing if it works. Uh, I got another sales one for you, Harris. Oh yeah, yep. Um, even a very motivated rep won't get anywhere. Definitely, and you know I'll say and we'll speak to this more soon, but. I'll just say, you know, the sales is very challenging. Uh, and I think really high performing salespeople, they vote with their feet. They will go in the, in the medium term to an organization where they feel like they're being rewarded for the activity. Um, so, you know, in the short term, it can be really, really easy potentially to like pull a fast one on, on your sales reps by changing comp structures and things like that. But um, if they really are doing the things that are going to close deals, I guarantee you another organization is going to pluck them up. Um, because it's really hard to, uh, it, it can be really hard, especially when you're creating a new category, when you're solving a problem, maybe that people don't know they have. And I think a lot of tech companies are doing that. Um, it can require a lot of discipline and a lot of creativity for a rep to do really do that job. And you can't just sort of say, oh, well, we'll, we'll, we'll do it all in incentives. Um, we don't want to put any skin in the game. We don't want to like support them with a good strategy or maybe, you know, a good process for marketing besides more leads from Instagram. Yeah, uh, I've got one from Sam here. Does any of that fluff ever tie into actual revenue? Um, that is the big thing, right? That's the big question. And if you can show it, um, that's that's great. That's usually what shareholders want to see. Um, I will say that sometimes it's difficult. Um, if you say somebody watched a YouTube video we made, how can you show that turned into a sale? Um, and you can put tracking codes. So you, the idea is you want to connect that as much as possible. So really, if you're if you're producing content, you want to be using like Google Analytics and other other platforms to make campaigns so that you can insert tracking codes to make sure, oh, these people are clicking through this article and coming down and signing up for an email. And then these emails we send out are people are clicking through through products or whatever it might be. So really leverage your tracking codes. That's huge. Um, I've, I, have a trouble, I have trouble connecting YouTube to something to say like, oh, somebody watched a YouTube video, they subscribed and then later saw something come to, came to our site and it looks like organic search. Um, so sometimes it's difficult, but leverage the tools you have that you can possibly try to connect um, like, like you said, fluff into actual revenue. Uh, another one is testing. Yeah. Some really good ones about testing, adjusting, um, customers feedbacks, not included. Another one about customers to customer experience surveys represent the sales connections, big disconnect between the content and the tone of both sections. Where's the flow? It's very apparent. These teams don't talk much. <laughs> and and so, I will say, go ahead, Sean. Yeah. Oh, I was going to go back to Karen's question, uh, Karen's point about hypothesis and testing. Um, it's really quite amazing how much uh, a marketing is, is a science. Um, you, you create a hypothesis and you really want to test things. And uh, to, to answer your question, uh, we're not going to get into the specifics. We just don't have time for it. But we are going to, in just a minute, we're going to share some stories that talk about questioning hypothesis or sorry, questioning assumptions and hypotheses. Um, but no, that's a fantastic point. You, you, every time you create a thing for marketing, 
Um, and probably for sales too, I, I, I'll let Harris speak to that, but you should always consider it an assumption and as a hypothesis and you should test it. Um, things like tracking codes and A-B testing are going to be your tools of your trade to test your hypotheses. Um, unfortunately, we just don't have time to get into the specifics of that. But yes, that is where we're trying to go for that is don't just say whatever sticks against the wall, um, really come up with a hypothesis and go, we're going to test this and see if it works. It's more scientific than you imagine or in anybody who's just starting out. It is very scientific. Okay, and before we, we jump into the next section, the point that uh, Ben dropped here in the chat, big disconnect between the tone and the content, where's the flow, it's apparent these teams don't talk. So um, if you don't mind making sure that your chat box is checked to panelists, all panelists and attendees, if you've ever worked in an organization or if you know someone, if you know of a friend, perhaps this isn't you, who's worked in an organization where it seemed like sales and marketing did not talk to each other, that in fact that there was friction between those two teams. If you've ever witnessed that or heard of that, maybe you saw about it once on Twitter, just drop like a plus one or a yes, or a, I've seen that, I've heard that before. Um, because if nobody's seen that, then we can just talk about the ways that these teams work together for the rest of our time. <laughs> Eric Host says, uh, this condition is called round canoe syndrome. Okay, which I am... I don't, I don't, yeah, I'm not familiar with that one too. So that is, that is a good one right now. I, I already love it. Going nowhere in a round canoe. Have you ever felt like the team is in a round canoe where everyone is rowing really hard, but the boat mostly spins in circles and goes. <laughs> if you have, this is a telltale sign of a misaligned team and it might be a good case of round canoe syndrome. Oh my gosh. Amazing. And the images for this are even better. Oh, I'm gonna have to image search that later. Um, but we got We got to continue to the next section here. Okay, we're getting some affirmation. Okay, so it doesn't seem like we're wasting our time here. People do seem feel like there's an issue here. Good. All right. So, Katie, if you could bring up the uh, the slides again. Yep. So I I think everybody um, was very successful in hitting on. Hey, what was the problem with just marketing in general? And there was a disconnect. There's no, there's no basis. It's a lot of input-based metrics, not really showing value. And in, in how are you generating revenue from any of this? Um, something else that's, that comes up a lot of times is, is marketing won't consider who their audience is. They just go for most views, most likes, and it's, it's a very tempting metric to look at. But if you're not going after the correct audience or audiences, um, and you, you, know, you do that through creating a persona, this persona becomes a hypothesis, and then you test whether those, that type of person is engaging with you through things like A-B testing. You can uh, pull demographics if you're running like certain paid ads. Um, you know, like, like I said, this is a very broad overview, but I, if you're not familiar with those, I recommend looking those up. But that's how you test your hypotheses. And a persona is just a hypothesis. Like this person, we think this type of person uh, women be between the ages of 30 and 40 um, who are, uh, you know, in the workforce and, you know, but this kind of job, we think they're going to be most engaged with our product. And that's a hypothesis. And you really want to test that hypothesis because that's who you're going to be marketing towards because you think that type of person is going to buy our product. You might be right, in which case, hey, you know, go full in all ads to that type of person. You've got the demographic. Otherwise, uh, you need to redo your hypothesis. And that happens. Uh, like, approach marketing from a scientific mindset of we don't know and we have to question all of our assumptions. So understand who your audience is can take a lot of time and a lot of effort into researching, you know, surveys, A-B testing, um, you know, running running profiles on things like, like your Facebook ads um, just to try to do different targeted ads and you can narrow down who's really engaging with your stuff. Uh, the other thing is, um, I 
forget who it was, somebody brought it up, that there was no real KPI. There's no key performance uh, indicators or your metrics that even relate to, say, like this funnel, right? I saw like a 13% growth of what? I had nothing. And it showed no value in how we're moving people through this funnel, ultimately to get them to closing the deal, whether that is they buy right away, whatever this product might be, or we hand them off to the sales team that they can um, further that relationship and hopefully move to a close. There is There was no connection there. There was zero. Um, and the other thing is uh, this idea called bike shedding, right? We're, 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 I, I like these these terminologies, and this is what I learned from at, at SparkFun. And uh, Nate at SparkFun was was loved the term bike shedding, and it's a very good point. We could spend all of our time, you know, say me and a, me and my significant other, we're trying to build a back bike shed out back to hold our bikes, and we say we spend three weeks arguing about the color that we need to paint this bike shed. Those are three weeks that we've lost by not building a bike shed of any color because we are no longer getting the value of housing our bikes. So bike shedding is really arguing about superfluous things that don't matter. So how important is font? I mean, font can make or break a site for sure, but if something's good enough, is that really what you need to be spending your time, money, and valuable resources on, especially if you're a small company strapped for cash and time, right? We're going to hire a graphic designer to change the font when it's really not that much different. If it's a big change, it might be worthwhile if you can if you can show that. And once again, it's a hypothesis. So yeah, yeah. And, uh, Marcy points out that the font's not really d- different. I, I have to give all the credit to Harris uh, for making that font. Um, n- not making the font, but just pulling it in. It, it was supposed to be very, very minor. It's like it's just bolded, and it's just like exciting new marketing thing. You're like, it's basically the same font. It does the same thing. So yeah, ask yourself. How important are the things we're spending our time on? And remember, everything in marketing is a hypothesis. It's an assumption that needs to be questioned. Sometimes you can get real hard data on it and sometimes not. So just be aware of that. Uh, Katie, could you go to the next slide, please? The last story I want to, the last story I want to tell here uh, before handing it off to Harris is this idea of the Pareto principle. And uh, for anybody who's not familiar with it, the Pareto principle states that 80% of your value or 80% of your effects come from 20% of your inputs or efforts, basically. So, you know, I could spend 20%, I can market to 20% of my customers and they provide us 80% with revenue. That That's kind of the idea of the Pareto principle applied to marketing and sales. And I'll, I'll tell you a story about where I used to work. And that was for the longest time, we assumed that we were selling things to the maker, the hobbyist market, and it was assumed that it was just individuals who were coming to the site and buying stuff, which was a fantastic thing to do. And all of our marketing material appealed to those people. So I I, I realized that this was an assumption. We actually didn't have hard data um, because I started hearing these stories about, hey, there's a lot of businesses that buy from us. So I'm like, okay, are we a business to consumer company? Or are we really business to business? And that might change how we interact with customers and how we market to them. So I go to the finance people and I say, hey, can you pull me a list of everybody from 2017 who bought from us? And I want you to list out their names or blank them out. I don't really care. I don't need to see who they are, how much they spent with us in that year in 2017. And if they filled out the company field when they were buying with us. Now, once again, it's a a bit of a faulty assumption. Somebody may not fill out that field, but it's something to go on some way to get data and say, hey, are the people buying from us buying for businesses, for their work, for their professional job, or are they buying this for a hobby for themselves personally? Because we had always assumed it was personal 
like hobbyists buying this stuff. And what I found was that about 20, 30-ish percent of the people filled out the company field. Okay, so about 30-ish percent of we were selling to businesses, a number of people. Oh, okay, that makes sense. And then I said, okay, let's run those numbers again, but look at the amount of money coming in from customers versus you know B2C type sales versus B2B. These people are buying for businesses. What I found is that even though it was a smaller percentage of people, that those people spent the majority of money during 2017. Our revenue came from, large 60% of our revenue came from businesses. And then you wonder like, wait, are we a B2C company or are we really a B2B company if we're making most of our money from other businesses, even if it's less people? So be aware of those kinds of assumptions, right? Like, oh, we're a B2C company. Well, are you? Are you really a B2C company if most of your money is coming from other businesses? And maybe making content for consumers helps that business side. So understand that relationship, but just really think about who you are and who you're selling to. And you know that funnel, think about that funnel, right? Who's coming through that funnel? And are we selling mostly to consumers? Are we selling most to businesses? What do these personas look like? Um, once again, don't have time to get into personas and how to develop them, but just so you start to understand that everything in marketing is an assumption and you need to be questioning those and looking at the data to prove one way or another and redoing your hypotheses over and over again. So I'll turn it over to Harris to finish up with the sales side. Okay. Buried the lead. Sales are down by a lot. It's the most important thing that came up in the sales section. Sales are down 15% year over year. So there is a, especially in smaller businesses, uh, startups and smaller teams, there's an there's obviously a vested interest. Whoever's in charge of sales, it reflects how good of a job they're doing. And they're not going to be necessarily incentivized to say if things aren't going particularly well. And then as you saw in basically the rest of the remarks, if things aren't going well, they're going to spend a lot of time pointing fingers at other people and why things aren't going well. Lots of excuses, lots of reasons why sales isn't performing. And the thing is, like many of those things may be true. There may be legitimate arguments for those things. But ultimately, what you want to see in a sales leader is someone who's going to be clear-eyed about what's going on and take ownership of that problem and help you define the metrics that can lead to more sales. So when they say our sales are down and we don't know why, that's really bad. Right? Is it is it that we're not closing deals? Is it that deals are taking longer than expected? And so, if you're not using, if the team isn't using a CRM or something like that, uh, project management software, something, you know, I mean, you can start with a spreadsheet. Personally, I recommend using a CRM. There's free ones. Um, if it's a bootstrap company and you've got like a home built system and it doesn't have CRM capabilities yet, trying to figure out ways to build in features or just letting sales operate on their own in a separate system for a little while. Um, they, there needs to be some technology that they're using to, to calculate their efforts of their work. If, if they can't, if you're just talking about the sales numbers for the month or your sales numbers for the day, and you're not talking about the things that are happening above that numbers of deals, close ratio, average deal size. And if everybody on the team isn't familiar with that, you, if circumstances change you on the downside, you could not know why, or if they're changing on the upside and you don't know why that's just as bad. If you had a good month and you cannot explain in numbers what is driving that better performance, you're just getting lucky. Um, and that leads, you know, that ties in with us saying nothing substantive, lots of hand waving just in general about sort of what's going on. Um, 
most important next point is being disjointed with marketing, right? So in most uh, organizations that I've been a part of, people view sales as not their problem. Say, well, that's for the salespeople to worry about. You know, that's for, uh, I don't know, Katie talks to the customers. She's got to close those deals. Not my problem. I think most people are afraid of sales. They have an aversion to it. They, they have negative associations with it. And the biggest thing is that sales is everyone's problem. And so if you at the top as a founder or if you're a leader within an organization and you're not creating a culture where everyone feels bought into what's happening in the sales side of the business, um, you are not helping that build a culture that's going to help the company grow in the long run. I don't mean getting everybody obsessed over the numbers and, and I realize that sales will care more about it than other people. But people need to understand what it is that the sales team is thinking about, how they're thinking about it. Um, marketing needs to know what the sales numbers are. And there are many marketers who will intentionally avoid that. They will not want access to the system. They will not want access to the reports. They will say, you know, I just want to focus on the brand or the creative or, you know, press or social or whatever it is that I'm doing to kind of get the word out. In a small organization, you cannot afford to think that way. Uh, you need to think that sales is your problem. And if you have a marketer within your team who's thinking that way, they need to expand their worldview because Ultimately, marketing should be driving sales. Um, and uh, Marcy uh, really nailed this on the, the incentivizing reps question. So as a general uh, heuristic that I find helpful, if the reps' efforts are meaningful in their hitting of their goals, then they should be incentivized more because it makes a difference what they're doing, right? So you, you have a direct incentive for effort if, if there's like a quick close. Uh, so let's say like, you know, it's somebody who's like uh, a, a taco cart and they're selling tacos like outside of uh, Coors Field. Like if they're smiling and engaged and talking to people, chances are they're probably going to sell more tacos. Um, but if it's something that is like a very long sales cycle and it's more consultative and it's more about just like sort of generally being responsive and being available for customers, connecting them with maybe a sales engineer, white papers, links to code repositories, if it's an open source product, um, then you want to think of your sales staff as more of like a professional staff. And you want to think about maybe other metrics outside of like quick turn, because if you just incentivize them on quick turn and they feel like they're really, really working hard and they're not getting paid for that, it's going to be a fr formula for frustration. And as we were talking about earlier, eventually they're going to want to leave the organization because they're going to feel like they're putting a lot of work in. And even if deals are closing, if there's not a correlation between that effort and their compensation, they're going to leave. And you might think, look, sales is easy. I can find someone else to do it. That's fine. I mean, if that's the approach that you want to take from a management perspective, like, okay, that's a, that's a, that's a decision. Um, but I think sales is a valuable activity. I think sales compensation should be thought of um, meaningfully, just like engineering compensation, tech support compensation, web developers and designers and things like that. Um, too often I've seen sales being seen as, look, let's just sort of try to put a carrot in front of them and then let's not give away the farm by incentivizing them too much. Uh, and I don't think that quite gives the respect fully to the, how hard sales can be. Uh, and then finally, a number of people mentioned this total lack of customer focus, not talking about whose customers, who, who are the customers, what problems are we solving and how can marketing find more people that share those problems? You know, I'm a big believer in gap selling. Uh, it's a, it's an approach basically to sales where you identify where the customer is today, uh, the future state that you can help them get into and, and, and sort of problem solve the bridge from here to there, how your product helps get them 
uh, to that future state. Um, but you have to be selling with empathy. You have to be asking questions. You have to understand your customer space really well in order to do that effectively. Um, but it's about a lot more than just picking up the phone and giving pricing and hoping that they choose to buy your product, subscribe to your service, sign a contract, whatever it may be. And next slide is just going to be talking about the prisoner's dilemma real quick. So if you're not familiar with this, I recommend looking it up online. But the, the general idea is uh, this is a little story. It's a part of like game theory where uh, there's two criminals that are arrested and there's not enough evidence to convict them. Um, but there is a lesser charge. So they came into it, you know, whatever they stole, they robbed a bank and they stole a police car. They did two things, right? And there's not enough evidence to, com- to convict them of one, but you can convict them of the other, uh, the lesser crime. And so the question is like, will they collaborate? So if prisoner A and prisoner B, the question is like, will they remain silent? Will they not narc, right? Will they not report what happened or will they confess? And they're both being pressured to confess. Um, if individually they confess, they'll get a, a lighter term. But if they both confess, then they both get a heavier term because they've both been now convicted of the, the greater charge, the heavier, the larger crime. Um, but if they both stay silent, then neither will get convicted and they will be on the lighter charge, the lighter crime. So the question is, you know, and, and we'll leave it to all the research and kind of connect the dots, but are sales and marketing incentivized to work together and end up in a higher space? Or are they focusing on individually maximizing their KPIs, their metrics, their considerations? Do they live in a separate political world within your organization? Or do they feel connected and that they have shared outcomes? Um, That is really the thing to think about. And we were gonna handle this a little bit differently in person. We decided to make this kind of a more of a simulation. Um, But look up Prisoner's Dilemma and think about really structurally, what are the incentives? What's the culture within your organizations for each of those departments? And with that, I'm gonna stop talking um, and we'll let Katie jump to the next slide. Uh, Let Sean tell you all a little bit more about the show and go from there. Yeah, so thanks Harris. Uh, That was a great overview of uh, what the the sales side did incorrectly and how could improve as well. So if you're not familiar, Harris and I run a podcast called Hello Blink Show. Um, we are on helloblinkshow.com and you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and we've got a newsletter. Uh, we we kind of talk about this, right? I, 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 I was listening to this and this is almost kind of how the podcast sounds. And you know, Harris and I will banter back and forth. We'll come up with, you know, a topic for the week. And we've been bringing on a lot of guests in the show who have been through uh, startups, they've created their own things, or maybe they work as like an evangelist or inbound marketer or something like that. We, we ask them their quest, uh, questions um, just to kind of get a feel and share their stories. So if you're interested in especially these tech bootstrapped, you know, very small companies, uh, that's what we're trying to focus on. But it's really in general, sales and marketing with uh, eye specifically on tech and small companies. So if you're interested, please check it out. Um, helloblinkshow.com. Katie, if you could, next slide. Yeah, so um, now we'll start off with questions. And uh, Sean, I don't know if you want to go over the first question that we had about um, a little about, about that topic, the Pareto principle, um, since Marcy had that question in the chat. But if yeah, anybody... If anybody has any other questions, just uh, drop them in the chat because we'll be answering those. Yeah, so uh, Marcy said she's good, but I, I just for the sake of the recording, um, I'll go over it. She was asking a clarification on the Pareto Principle. Um, the Pareto Principle is very general. It, it's basically saying 80% of your benefits come from about 20% of your efforts. Um, and the idea for marketing is to 
question who's driving your revenue, you might find that uh, if you do some research, you might find that only 20% of your customers are giving you 80% of your revenue. And so why are you spending all your marketing efforts on the other 80% if, if you find that a certain type of persona is giving you a lot of money? So that's it's question your assumptions. And, you know, one thing I'll say on that is that, like, I've talked to many organizations who can't answer that question. They cannot answer in detail where their revenue specifically is coming from. And so, you know, in Sean's case, he worked with finance department at that prior organization. Uh, for myself, in prior roles, I've worked with IT teams to help generate reports. Uh, sales sometimes has been able to do it on its own. Marketing sometimes has been the keeper of certain types of information. Other times, it's sort of nestled in a payment processing or an accounting solution like a QuickBooks. So if you can't answer that question out of the gate, then your first question is, who do I talk to to try to figure out how to answer this? And, you know, people talk about cost of acquiring customers and lifetime value customers as if it's very obvious, but I've seen that in practice, uh, many, many organizations are not using those types of metrics on a regular basis. And I suspect, and I have found that many of them don't even know how to calculate them in the first place. Um, so that's okay. Don't be embarrassed about it. Uh, if, you know, but know that that type of information is available. And so you may need to just begin the process first of even figuring out how to answer it in the first place. Yeah. And uh, customer lifetime value is one of those like nice theoretical things that you can never truly know because you're trying to predict out to infinity and extrapolation ends in uh, bad things um, from a mathematical sense. So a lot of marketing and a lot of sales uh, research likes to focus on customer lifetime value, which is a fantastic metric, but measuring it in practice is nearly impossible. Um, you can estimate it based on a number of tools. So if you've got current sales data, um, especially for like a subscription model, right? If you're a SaaS company, you've got a subscription and you know that like people pay X number of dollars per month. We have X, you know, Y number of customers and the average customer stays with us for eight months, right? You can, you can calculate your predicted custom like lifetime customer value based on those numbers but if you're selling widgets um it becomes a little tougher because you it's hard to know like oh this person spent this type of person spends five dollars with us on average but then uh you know this type of person spends four hundred dollars with this or a thousand dollars um so until you can get those personas and start grouping them uh you can't really start figuring out uh, how much they spend with this and some customers might stay with you for the length of your cost for your company so you got you to gotta figure that out. It, it takes some number crunching. And really, it's working with finance a lot of times to start pulling that data. So um, work with your finance department. Start looking at you know, where this money's coming from um, to start trying to calculate that and figure it out. Like I said, it's, it's going to be an estimate. The best you're going to do is an estimate on lifetime value. Um, the, last, the last piece I want to mention is some of this takes time. Um, you know, if you start going into marketing research and you start trying to figure out who your personas really are, um, be prepared to spend a year or two. Um, it, it, it takes, it takes time and research. So, yeah. And you may not have time to do that all perfectly, but the perfect can be the enemy of the good. And sometimes it's helpful to just get moving. I mean, you know, Katie, we've worked together on a project, of sort of like a remarketing type campaign, uh, for, for prior customers, um, and you know, the process was a little manual in the beginning, but it worked, uh, and it was a way to have more conversations with customers. And then the idea was in the long run, we could maybe do some more automation or learn from this. But in the short run, if you, if you have a hypothesis a marketing hypothesis and sales can execute it, even if it's not perfect, uh, it may be worth just kind of getting in motion because the best way to bring money into your organization is customer financing. 
right? Selling product, getting money that's validated, someone out in the world saying, I would rather give you these dollars, pesos, Bitcoin, Euro, than have them sit in my bank account because I think this is going to be better uh, for me to do that than, uh, you know, than not. So th- recognize that too. I've seen that, I've seen that analysis paralysis uh, or paralysis by analysis uh, slow people down a lot. Um, but there's a lot of benefit in moving quickly. And if you can move quickly to get money in your organization, uh, you will then create this positive feedback loop where you can do more ambitious testing, more ambitious programs in the future. Yeah. And so uh, Marcy's thanking us for how we did this to show um, that we did it wrong and then discussed the wrong ways. And I, I want to point out that, you know, uh, Harris and I are not uh, above this by any means. I, I've fallen into this trap plenty of times and it's really kind of showing our learning experiences from what we've seen and what we've done, right? I, I, I'm trying to be more focused in my content because a lot of my personal content does not reflect uh, like, like a marketing funnel necessarily. And so really I'm trying to analyze my own content to develop this. And cause I don't know, right. A lot of it's, a lot of it for me is still uh, throwing stuff out there and seeing what sticks. And I, I need to get better about it too. It's, it's a learning experience. Like I'm not perfect by any means. I agree. Uh, what would you say the most common mistake is of those that you mentioned today? <sighs> Harris, what have you seen a whole bunch? I mean, most common for me for sure is people is people outside of sales feeling like sales is not their problem. And uh, if sales is not going well for long enough, it is everyone's problem. And, you know, so yeah, for me, that's definitely the case. And I think that that rep, that's comes from two things, uh, an aversion to sales in general, uh, and sort of not really understanding what, what it is that sales means. Um, thinking of it's like used car salesman kind of thing. Um, or just feeling like, um, like, like that it literally isn't their problem. Like, oh, that's not for me to worry about. That's like someone else's job and not, not connecting that if sales is not executing. And I realize in a venture-backed startup, maybe that's different than a bootstrap company. Maybe your metrics are different. But ultimately, even venture-backed companies with a five-year runway still have sales metrics they have to hit. So for me, it's people outside of sales feeling like sales is not their problem. Um, and I guess I know, and, and Sam followed up, which one of these do you think is the most damaging to me? That's, I would say it's, it's the same thing. Um, but within, from a sales perspective, people dropping the ball, um, I would say for sales people, it's being, um, too myopic and n- allowing the daily sales goal or weekly or monthly sales goals and quotas to, um, prevent them from building the structure that will help the sales organization scale when things are going well, especially, because when things go poorly, you're just not going to have time to configure the CRM or to do that type of work. And so if you just take that bounty period, that harvest period, and, and you just sort of like gorge away and you don't think about reinvesting, you're going to wish you had tools that you had, you had invested in tools when, when thin times come. So that would be, I think, the sales mistake that the, the mistake salespeople make that's the most costly. And so for, for marketing, the most common one I think is focusing too much on your inputs. Um, I see a lot of, you know, we made this many videos, we made this many blog posts and really missing that connection to who you're trying, who your audience is and who you're trying to sell to ultimately and how that relates to revenue income or sorry, revenue generated. Um, the most costly, the biggest mistake probably is, is I would say bike shedding. Um, just focusing a ton of effort on something that is super superfluous and just doesn't matter. 
I see that a lot in marketing because a lot of a lot of marketers are like, I want this to look good, and I get it. I spend a lot of time on trying to make things look good, and I can fall into that same trap. Um, and you have to really ask yourself: Do our customers or potential customers really care? Um, and it might be no. Yeah, I can right. I can agree with um, both of your inputs. I think from even a young professional standpoint, you can see that within management. I've worked at larger companies um, and as well as smaller companies, and it's still present. Um, you can see it with the management, and even something as small as uh, marketing doesn't necessarily say anything about sales um, to the whole entire team within uh, team meetups and such. We're just reading the questions here. So yeah, that just touched on Katie's point. If you're having a marketing meeting, marketing standups, and like the the number, how what the sales numbers are, or the number of qualified leads, if that never comes up, that's like your first indicator, right? That's the kind of canary in the coal mine. If it's all the internal marketing stuff, then maybe it's worth having a conversation with the sales team. Um, and this is from uh, Paul Collins. Really interesting question. Given misalignment, why don't you think we see more CRO? I think that's Chief Revenue Officer roles within the enterprise. Um, and so Paul, I'm going to ask you to clarify if you can, uh, do you mean within larger organizations, like within enterprise businesses, like, I don't know, let's just say 500 or a thousand employees up. I know it could be like a hundred, hundred thousand employees, but, um, and assuming that you do mean bigger organizations. I mean, I think that ultimately executives take ownership of sales in larger organizations. And, and I, I think it happens in smaller organizations too. I think it's in this middle bridge period where they think like, oh, we can have a sales manager or a VP of sales worry about this. Um, but I think ultimately when you talk about bigger, much bigger organizations, the CEO recognizes that sales is the health of this entity. And if we can't, and so they, they kind of take more. Um, but yeah, he says, if sales and the revenue is the lifeblood, why don't earlier stage companies invest in that earlier? Um, yeah, I think that the founders and early team, they get kind of like tired of it, or they think they can have like a manager level type person take care of it. And that, that is often the case. Um, but that person will at some point hit a ceiling. Um, and that's where I think that's the question of whether a company can get above 25 million in revenue or something like that, 50 million and break out to being a hundred million dollar plus company. Uh, I think a lot of them stall out and they try shuffling different management level people or shuffling different ad agencies, um, maybe thinking it's the product refresh that's required. Um, yeah, I think that that's my initial answer. It's a, that's a very good question. It's hard to answer on the fly. That's my initial thought. Yeah, I wish I wish I had an answer for that one too. I mean, maybe we should see more. I, I don't know. Um, I, I think some of that might also relate to uh, a past and current startup trends of being investor backed, um, where finding, uh, managing revenue isn't as important as growing an audience mm -hmm. base. So my prediction, I, I can't point to any causal, uh, uh, indicators for why that might be the case, but it, it's a good point. Yeah. I mean, if you look at, uh, Indie VC is a very interesting group and there's this concept called like unicorns, which is like, uh, bootstrap profitable technology companies. I think there's a lot more focus, you know, the, the high profile stories of like WeWork and Uber, uh, I think are starting to get people thinking a lot more about cash flow and, uh, like real hard sales numbers. Um, so I think there may be a cultural shift, um, in this direction where people are recognizing being profitable is maybe more important, even if you're venture backed. Um, maybe it's not just about growing your average, you know, monthly average users and things like that. 
All right. So I think we're up at the end of the hour here. So we should probably wrap it up. Hello, Ben. Uh, ben I just want to thank everybody. Ben is stealing the mic back. <laughs> <laughs> he is, but thank you all for uh, participating and, and uh, uh, joining us today. Yeah, this was awesome. Thank you all so much for taking the time to do this. I know that uh, all the speakers coming to Boulder Startup Week uh, are taking time out of their weeks to to share with the community. And I think that's what, what makes this community so special. So really appreciate you all taking the time to do this. I know that uh, as you were talking, I was going through all of these situations in my head and having flashbacks uh, and getting terrorized. So thank you for that. And uh, <laughs> always helpful to think about uh, ways that we can make a bigger impact together. Um, I know that having those conversations within marketing and sales is sometimes, I guess, starting that can be uncomfortable that there's not really that precedent before, but having this kind of knowledge and being able to understand ways that you can work better together. Um, and like you mentioned with the prisoner's dilemma, like what, what, are, what are some ways that uh, we can kind of break down uh, the barriers that are kind of traditionally there. So that was really helpful to think about. And then, of course, looking forward to listening to the Hello Blink show. So thank you all <laughs> so much uh, for joining. So Sean, Harris, Katie, uh, for taking the time to do this today. Uh, and also for all the attendees, thank you for joining in, especially uh, everyone who wrote in uh, in the chat. Uh, I think even though we can't have this as an in-person session, being able to have this interactivity uh, over video chat um, is a is, is a good second. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. We'll have to put a trigger warning at the beginning of the presentation. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you all so much and have a great afternoon. Yeah. You too. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Harris and I want to try running a new segment at the end of each episode where we play some clip sent to us by a listener. If you'd like to be included, please create an audio recording of one minute or less telling us who you are, what you're building or selling, and where people can reach you, whether it's on social media or a website. Send this audio clip to info at helloblinkshow.com. We'll select one to play in each episode starting in 2021. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and share the show. Let us know what you think on Twitter at Hello Blink Show. Find show notes at helloblinkshow.com. The Hello Blink Show is shared under a CC BY 4.0 license by Skull Riza LLC and Kenny Consulting Group LLC. The intro and outro music is Routine by Amin Maxwell and is shared under a CC BY 3.0 license. This song can be found at soundcloud.com slash Maxwell slash routine.